Welcome back to Beyond the Numbers with McKissick Appraisal. I'm your host, Julie Molendorf, and our guest today is a good friend and a longtime appraiser, Doug Potts, M-A-I-A-I-G-R-S. Doug is the founder of Delta Real Estate Analytics, a real estate consulting startup specializing in valuation products and services for the financial sector. In 2020, Doug retired from his role as the chief appraiser for Commerce Bank, a regional super community bank with over $31 billion in assets, 360 branches, and operations in 11 states. He actively managed appraisal review and environmental due diligence, representing over $3 billion in annual loans. In 2022, Doug partnered with Whip Action LLC, a collaborative seeking to reverse structural weakness in the St. Louis housing market. Potts assisted with Action LLC to be recognized as a featured innovator from the Brookings Ashoka Innovation Challenge in the Economic Architecture Initiative, being only one of 10 innovators out of 54 submissions coast to coast. Brookings Ashoka has also issued a financial grant to continue research and activities towards creating a pilot financing program in St. Louis. With Action LLC proposes reforms to improve the clarity and equity of appraisals of homes in Black neighborhoods. Doug's also an active member of the Appraisal Institute as well as an instructor and is now currently on the AI Enterprise Board. He's an active institute instructor for both license qualifying and designation qualifying courses. So welcome to the podcast, Doug. How are you today? Hi, Julie. It's so great to see you again and to have a chance to chat about the work that we're doing in the housing space. And I'm looking forward to this a great deal. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you being here. So tell us about what you've got going on with the Brookings Institute. Well, um, for a very long time, uh, as an appraiser and as a sort of a land economist kind of person, I've been very interested in urban form, how urban form evolves, how opportunity and wealth migrates from area to area within a metropolitan community. And um, over my 40-year career in real estate, I have observed these kind of subtle but continuing tectonic shifts in market behavior. And and this is mirrored in so many other communities around the country. Almost every community in America is seeing this kind of, 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 it's less a shift in race than it is a shift in opportunity and in opportunity capacity for communities. And so it was of interest to me. And because of that, I was asked by this group called with action to assist them in dealing with the Brookings program. And the Brookings program is very valuation and appraisal focused. The, the whole focus was to address the issues that had been surfaced in the media about uh, appraisals sometimes being quite wildly different depending upon who the appraiser was and how the homeownership was perceived. And I proposed some changes. I would argue that of the three valuation-related programs that won grants, the With Action proposal of which I joined is the only that is appraisal-centric. The other proposed solutions are automated techniques 
that take the appraiser completely out of the game. And I think that's a very important problem here because quite honestly, you still need the intuition and intelligence and savvy of an appraiser to understand how to avoid data that will lead you astray. Um, at the same time, we need the greater flexibilities that my solutions have suggested. So your, your passion is really in the St. Louis market, but it has a much wider reach ultimately. But currently you're focused on making change in your immediate St. Louis area. So tell us, tell us how that can come about. Well, it, it, it's very interesting. Um, there are relatively few cities in the country, perhaps Detroit, perhaps Cleveland, maybe Baltimore, um, that have the level of wealth flight that North St. Louis, north of what is known locally as the Del Mar Divide, uh, and east, that's a street that runs east and west through the city of St. Louis. That Del Mar Divide, north of that spot, um, has been significantly damaged over 50 years, 60 years of, of uh, economic life. As it went from a high density, uh, largely middle class kind of area to a very poor area with extremely low levels of income, high degrees of poverty. And of course, the housing stock suffered immediately with it. And um, the much of the housing stock is now gone. It's been demolished. It's been torn down from neglect and or fires and or vandalism and or redevelopment activities. Um, but nothing's ever caught on. And so, so one of the key questions is if you look, if one were to look at the level of market activity north of Del Mar in terms of how many sales are being tracked through the systems, how much data is available, it's really pretty staggering. The discrepancy would be, I, I did a study recently for a presentation and demonstrated that in a particular zip code north of the Del Mar divide, there were probably 40 to 60 sales last year, transactions. Okay. In a comparable neighborhood of similarly aged houses, um, but, but in a very active market, there were 10 times the number of sales. And, and this is a significant dynamic in terms of understanding how you're going to get equity in appraisals because, because the, the problem has been that the, the existing rules by which appraisers operate, whether they need to or not, they sort of adopted them regardless. Those rule sets are basically holding them to only consider sales in those immediate areas and those sales that are occurring are occurring at one third to one quarter of the price of other parts of town with similar housing stock. And so, so the problem is um, you are essentially recycling the damage that had, has accumulated over decades. So that's really where the solution has been designed to solve and address that issue. I see. And, and appraisers are taught from the very beginning that location is definitely a primary factor in the selection of comparable sales and the analysis of your market um, in and of itself. So how do you propose we we fix that, Doug? Well, that's a great question. And um, I think the first thing that we need to do 
is we need to remove the focus on blaming the appraiser for this problem. Um, quite honestly, appraisers are only following the rules that they've been given by the agencies, and that's Fannie, that's Freddie. Um, hold on, I want to show you. So Fannie and Freddie and FHA and VA and the USDA, those five agencies have a pretty uniform data set requirement for what they consider to be acceptable appraisal practice. Now, when you combine that set of rules along with the forms that they developed to report things to them and how that process has become essentially industrialized and mass produced by the various uh, data companies such as uh, uh, Alamode, ACI, et cetera. These products, even if it's not meant for those services, looks very much the same way. And the appraisers have accepted those rules as those must be the rules of life, but they are not necessarily the rules of life. And, and I think part of our problem with what we have heard about the issues of appraisal bias are in part because appraisers are applying the same set of thinking, no matter what the case is at the time. And so I call this, we're gonna, we, we wanna fix the appraisal bias problem by putting the pin back into the hand grenade here. Because if we start talking about appraisers as being biased, we've totally shut the room down. And I've, I've been in situations where that is happening. Right. So that's the first thing. A fundamental um, tenant of being an appraiser is impartial, unbiased, and objective. So when you do throw the B word, bias, into the discussion, I have found that appraisers become somewhat like a turtle and they pull back into their shell and, and the discussion therein is over. So if, if it's a discussion we can have um, about how to rectify the situation, I'm all ears. So yeah. tell us exactly. what to do, Exactly. I mean, so the response, the, re the, the, the likely responses are duck and cover, which is the turtle, um, or uh, resist and fight back, or um, throw yourself on a spike with mea culpa. And I don't think that we have to do any of those. And and I think that we can we can look to this as the other part of our job as appraisers and avoiding the the object and, and avoiding the bias and being objective and impartial is accepting assignment conditions from your client. When you're when you're doing a an appraisal for a secondary market transaction that's going to be sold on the secondary market, you're going to find yourself having to accept specific rules about how far you can go, how far back you can go for sales, and so on. And even though you can justify expanding those parameters, we haven't really been successful in doing that because the the AMCs that manage most of this appraisal process have very strict and, and kind of arbitrary rules and sometimes even added on their own things as a, quote, value add. But the problem is, is that you either have to accept all those binding conditions within your impartiality and objectivity, or you have to say, no, I can't do your job. And how do you make a living doing that? So, so I think that's a really big deal. We have to essentially create a new rule set that allows greater flexibility. Well, and appraisers are always afraid of uh, being taken off a, a list to yes. be by a lender, having a complaint filed. 
because they did not select the correct comparable properties and that appraisers are always getting a little bit beat up, you would say, um, about keeping their comparables close in proximity, close in recency of sale. Um, so you're you're discussing maybe changing some of those rules, correct? That's correct. Let's keep in mind that the I can't remember if it was a Fannie study or a Freddie study in the last 12 months, maybe 15 months at most, identified that the distances that appraisers would look on average away from the subject property in a black or Latino neighborhood was only half as far as the distance of appraisers looked on average in majority white neighborhoods. Correct. Now, I've, I've now heard that's, that study as well. Yes, that's a very important statistic. And, and it doesn't necessarily represent bias, but it might represent fear of the rule set. So, so the solutions that I have proposed, the other piece I think we need to talk about here is that um, appraisers uh, have also been accused of ignoring market data that might have been told to them by a property owner um, or that because a second appraisal occurs, you get radically different sets of comparable sales depending upon which appraiser was doing the job. And I think that, that that really undermines the trust in the appraiser's judgment set. So my very first proposal on this issue, number one is, I call it show your homework, which is the very first thing you should be doing is identifying all the possible sales that meet the physical criteria of the subject property. So the very first thing we're going to do is not look to location first. We're going to look to an expanded location set and consider sales within a significant distance of the subject property that might be similar numbers of stories, similar age, similar size, similar bedroom and bathroom count, and look at those and say, here's all the potential sales that might be available for consideration. And, and the reason that that will be helpful is that that will help largely identify the sales that might be candidates for consideration and eliminate the complaint that you didn't even tell the homeowner about the sale across the street. Because that's okay. going to really create some, from, fr some friction. It has created friction. And if we do that, then we're basically telling people, here's all the stuff that's really a, a possible sale. By the way, you also have to create and summarize their, their general statistics. So with that in mind, that's really important. And, and you're all probably wondering, how the heck do we do that? So I think there's going to be, to be some technological modifications. Most of the software that we have available can do a lot of that now. We haven't necessarily leveraged it. And I see that this is a future long-term goal in reforms for the, but you know, the data aggregators, the, the data companies that create the forms, this is not a hard task for them. So, so that's a huge piece is number one, show your homework. Number two, what I call expanding the comparability triangle. And, and the very first thing we do is rather than throw location out, we don't throw location out, but we will dethrone it as the very and most important thing that we consider. 
Okay. We will put it away from the pyramid or the top of the pyramid of the comparability triangle. And, and you're probably wondering what a comparability triangle is. So if we think about I the am. triangle. So <laughs> Share that triangle. with us, Doug. So here's the triangle. And number, we've always looked at location as the most important thing. Correct. And then over here, we talk about similarity of features and over here, recentness of sale. Okay. And with those three things in mind, the ideal comparable sale is next door, looks just like you. Correct. And by the way, is sold yesterday. Perfect sale. Now, in a perfect world. In a perfect world. But if we rejigger this and put physical features at the top of the pyramid, so that that is the thing that we will start to look at. And then we'll look at location. Then we'll look at physical features as well. We'll have this ability to expand the triangle. And that's the other piece. It may be necessary to expand away from a one mile radius or one mile distance or across a geographic boundary, such as the Del Mar divide. And it might be necessary to go to competing neighborhoods or competing parts of a, of a community that have extremely similar housing stock. Certainly St. Louis is, it has abundant examples of this and look at those alternatives. And, and that's the third piece. So we've talked about show your homework, right? Two is the expanded comparability triangle. And three is because these loan, these products are not going to meet the existing rule set of the agencies. Sure. These loans aren't going to be eligible for agency financing. These are portfolio in the test bed product that we're creating for St. Louis. These products will um, be portfolio loans to be held inside a bank's portfolio. And they'll have two values. One value is under the traditional rule set that an appraiser might choose. Correct. The normal thing. And the second value is what we have termed restorative competitive value under the concept that had we not had the damage occur since the 1930s up through the 1970s. And then by that point, the template was set. And, and after many, 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 many spill-on effects occurred, through the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Um, if we could have never had that, we will now see what a restored value would look like if we had never had those problems. And this gap, which could be significant, allows the lenders to, to scale and target the degree of subsidy they can have because the lending program is designed to have money for rehab, money for purchase, money for purchase and rehab, and gap funding for gaps between what the cost of the project is or the value of the, of the assignment is and the need is as a way of funding that gap as a second loan product that could be forgivable. We're still working with our lender teams and our lender partners, forgivable or only payable on sale. And a third piece of that financing is also the concept of an equity assurance model for those people who want to venture into the unknown Ooh. to give them a chance to have some assurance that if they inject equity and they hold themselves in the in the investment and the and buy a stake in the neighborhood and they stay there long enough, if values were to have declined, they get they get whatever equity they did lose covered by an assurance program to pay them back and at least make them whole, that they haven't lost anything. So, so that is the basic outlines of the program. 
That is a fascinating concept. So let's hope it works. <laughs> just from things I hear from appraisers in the field, when we talk about projects like of this sort, um, their concerns are, are we just propping up a value artificially? Uh, and, you know, we're always taught location, location, location. If we're moving that to a different side of your triangle, um, yeah. what what does that do to those basic appraisal principles? How do you look at that? How do you answer those questions? Well, I think this is so, so that's actually why there's two values. Because I think appraisers are terrified of being accused of cherry picking data for an out for an outcome. Now, I think appraisers do more cherry picking from time to time than they might be willing to identify. And and I certainly think that that even I, as a practicing appraiser, run into the danger of wanting to find two or three sales that that are good enough sales and gets me through the job and gets the job out the door rather than a more exhaustive search. Correct. Um, so I understand that pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, however, keep in mind, this product, because it's a unique product, isn't going to price like a commodity product. What we are dealing with in the agency products is an industrialized, fast turnaround. Um, it, it's clean down to the bone in terms of efficiency. And they're expecting it to be at a very, very cheap price point, which doesn't give you the luxury of really being a student of the economics of the area. And as such, this product is not expected to be priced at that level. So because it's a restorative tool Mm -hmm. and it's part of a special thing. And the goal here is to establish enough transactional data in a given community that someday, a year or two, five years of from now, those markets will have the opportunity to be considered restored or at least on their way and and that they can they can fly out of the nest, as it were, and have a chance to fly on their own. And and it's happening in pockets in St. Louis. But but this is they're almost all exclusively south of Del Mar. So it's concentrating these effects in an area that has the benefit of synergies. What we're trying to do here is drop something into a what we think is a fertile field and establish a beachhead of opportunity for those who wish to stay and renovate or stay and refinance or those who wish to come into the community and become participants in the community. Uh, be they black or white or Latino or Asian or whatever you want. But this is the goal to try to establish uh, some opportunities to restore areas that have just been devastated by decline. So a key word that I'm hearing from you is restore. And you said that an appraiser would be finding two types of value. So they would be finding market value. Yes. Traditional market value. And then yes. they also would be developing this, you said, restorative, what was the rest of it? Restorative competitive value. Restorative competitive value. Okay. So that's a new type of value, correct? It is. Correct. Correct. Under a new set of rules. Interesting. And so you've talked about this topic around the country. I've, I've heard you, you've spoken in, 
at some conferences, things like that. Yeah. What what are you what feedback are you getting from appraisers, from regulators? What are you getting? Well, um the the spectrum is wide. I'm sure it is. Um I certainly get a lot of people who are very curious about it. First off, I think it's important to realize there are a lot of people with very goodwill here who care a great deal about seeing these issues rectified and and are not and are not manning the ramparts and trying to do battle and are not ducking and covering and are not just throwing themselves on a spike, but they're saying, hey, you know, this is an interesting idea. Maybe we got something here. Hmm. Maybe if we looked at this a little differently, we can avoid some of the fire and the fury. Um, and and so there are definitely those, and I think that's the majority, who are um, curious and want to know more. There are also those who are, um, they're close-minded, and I've, I've, I've seen some of those people post on various media forms, and they're like, nah, this is all crazy. Uh, one person made the point, so what, what do you want me to do? You want me to go to Beverly Hills, California for my comps then? Is that the idea? I'm in St. Louis and I just got to go to Beverly Hills. That right. I get the high to get a little extreme. Well, exactly. But that, that I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also seen people on the other side of the spectrum who have immediately, well, there's first off, there are those people who have said, oh, you're just talking about more subsidized housing for the poor, mm-hmm. like rental housing. No. Because what we don't want to see is the concentration of poverty that favors exurban areas by default because they're not really taking their share of the socioeconomic plight of the country. Um, and um, uh, or they think, well, what are you going to do? You're just going to kick these people out and move them, move the poor to yet another location where they are a problem there is really the implication. And and so um we're thinking about that because uh, I'm already very sensitive to the dynamics of redevelopment often is displacement. And we have to try to find ways to go forward without displacement to the degree that we can. Um, many cities have had this problem um, where redevelopment starts to occur. Taxes, property taxes go up, affordability goes down for the people who live there. So how can we work on this? I mean, we're still, we're just trying to work out the mechanics right now of the value space. Um, but we're already very sensitive to those other areas as well. The, the you know, the people who are like, um, I really don't want them, whoever them are, moving into my neighborhood. Um, but we'll see. This is a, this is a test bed. But you're right; it has national implications because for many of the older industrial core cities, these are where these things are really occurring. I think this if is, we can get appraisers yeah. to open their mind to the possibility of finding something other than market value and understanding that in a comparative, or sorry, com- restorative, competitive. competitive value situation, yeah. you have a different set of rules than a market value situation. And that's okay. There is no intent to mislead. There, it, your report will be credible for the users that are accepting this loan program. Right. They're really the ones with the risk. They're the ones who are trying to, for, for more than one reason, yes, they have Community Reinvestment Act requirements anyway, 
But this gets it away from yet another home ownership workshop and puts it down where it really counts. And, and I can tell you that the partner banks that have been involved in this uh, locally, um, they really want to try something out, but they're kind of stuck. They don't know how to get from point A to point B and get them there and and the mechanisms because they're stuck in the industrial process too. They go to an AMC. The AMC only knows how to do this thing one way. Correct. They don't know how they can. They they don't have they don't have a stable of appraisers who've been given this. This is part of our plan, and we're working that right now. We're beginning to develop the guidance committee. We've I've outlined to the team, and these are some very bright people. I will tell you who are involved here, and and part of the issue I've already said is we have to define. What is a disadvantaged district? Right. How do we how do we train? How do we find out what kind of techniques can be brought to bear? Because you know, cities aren't built for automated valuation models to cherry pick data. Cities are organic and messy and a lot of different housing styles and qualities and conditions are intermingled, especially in declined areas. There's a couple of really nice houses and then a bunch of kind of houses. And then there's a bunch of burnouts, what, we, what I call crispy critters. And, and, and so, so how do you deal with determining looking up data? And um, so we're working out some of those, that's some of the stuff we're doing and find appraisers who we can make part of the test bed part of this project to see if it works. And then those become the vanguard, the apostles who can help bring other appraisers into the fold to learn the techniques and learn the things that are necessary. And they become part of a team that the banks can then use and look to. So and the banks don't have the final question. decision. Yes. How does how does an appraiser learn to develop this type of value? What's your plan to to teach this to appraisers? Well, I think the first thing is is to is to move to techniques, um, and I'm working with a couple of different data companies around the country just beginning this to show how one can data mine quickly and find the summary statistics for this material. And then this is where the beauty of the appraiser's intuition comes in, you know. This was brought to me by a broker years and years ago. Why doesn't the brokerage community, when someone says, hey, I want to buy XYZ kind of house for my life needs, why does the brokerage community first off say, well, look at all the houses that more or less meet that criteria across our whole community. The first thing the brokers do is, well, what school district do you want to be in? Right. Or what neighborhood do you want to be in? So the brokers essentially allow borrowers to self-select or self-steer. But if borrowers began to think about this issue or buyers began to think about this issue, hey, you know, if I move to this area, I could get largely the same kind of house for about one half the price. Maybe that's a good idea. In, in fact, I'm dealing with a city manager of a small suburban older legacy suburban community in St. Louis right now, whose his his fiance wants to stay in an edge suburb, which is what is familiar. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he's like, but you know, if we moved into this community that I'm the city manager of, we could get a huge, gorgeous, magnificent old house 
that's not in bad shape for a steel comparatively. So this is the kind of tension that we have, and we have to think about how to work on that. And, and part of it is people have things that they're used to and comfortable with, and we can't expect people to suddenly change their what we call normative experience, what they grew up with, right. sure. um, and say, oh, well, that's just not valid. That's not valuable. That's, that's immoral. I mean, that's, again, you pulled that pin out of the hand mm -hmm. grenade. We have to stop that. But and we can't say... Don't forget, and it's not ethical. It's, it's not it's unethical, and that's right. appraisers are going to have to understand. This is a different type of product. It's a different appraisal. It's a different value. It's a different loan Correct. structure. There's much more to it. There is, and the beauty of this is because of the two value proposition, you've you've avoided the misleading. Right. You. Right. I think that's a great. That's a great point. When I've had discussions about this type of scenario with appraisers, their concern always is, will I come across as misleading? And if you are clear that you are providing a market value and a restorative value, I think that covers your bases, don't you? I think it does, especially when you recognize by including the show your homework. Oh, now all of a sudden you can't say that you didn't think you didn't you didn't even think about those things. You've avoided that risk of, of having glossed over candidate sales because right. you really, you have to talk about the sales you selected and why you selected those sales rather than some of the others. Interesting. You know, you know and if you think about this, commercial appraising has had this kind of flexibility forever. Right. You identify the market segment in which your property competes. And if that market segment is a national market segment, you may be jumping across property sales that are halfway across the country. Correct. I've seen that. And certainly in industrial and in retail and in office in a local market, you may still be jumping across from the north part of the region to the south part of the region. And nobody challenges that at all. But again, the part of the problem is, is we don't even talk about all the sales that may be out there as candidates. So this is that's one of the areas of training for the appraisal community. So do you foresee this as a a different license, a different like a, a certification, a designation? How do you see appraisers who are competent in this value measure? How do you see them being recognized? Well, that's a very interesting idea, um, and and I don't think we want to try to walk down a pathway of a different certification process, such as is administered by our state agencies, because right. I don't think I think first off that is years in the creation. Correct. I years and years. However, I you know, for instance, the Appraisal Institute, and I'm working on this right now, is an is a what they call a green certification. You have to take right. a couple of classes, you have to pass some tests, and it's the idea that now you can talk about energy efficient features, or you can talk about mm -hmm. solar, or you can talk about whatever, and you can talk about valuation techniques. Um, I, I I see that that this issue could be a candidate for that kind of process in the residential space down the road because yeah. you know you've learned how to address those issues and and this this is a multifaceted issue it's not just appraisers 
the brokerage community has had this challenge as well of asking the first question, well, what part of town do you want to live in? Which is the self, self-steering behavior of buyers. They gravitate to what they know. But it'd be interesting to see what would happen if you told them, you know, five miles away, 10 miles away from here, is the neighborhood not unlike this, but it's a whole lot, it's in a poor area of town. And by the way, it's a whole bunch cheaper. Now imagine what would happen if those if those buyers began by just knowing the option. Right. If they would still say, no, I, I still want to stay with what I know. Or they might, there might be a few that say. So this is really this is this is really an interesting an interesting opportunity to study something really new and differently. Absolutely. It it sounds like um, in McKissick, we offer a luxury home certification and, and a green yeah. um, scenario. So specialized classes in how to find this restorative value, uh, demonstration of competency in finding yeah. a restorative value. But one of the big things I see is it's, you're going to have to get your lenders on board. Yes. So what's the plan for, uh, you know, these obviously aren't going to be FHA loans or Fannie Freddie loans of any type, but what is the plan and what's the buy-in from your lenders? Well, I mean, by way of example, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm doing this is because a CEO of a major bank in the Midwest asked me to get involved in this topic after I left commerce. and. Um, <laughs> and, and it was that activity that led me into some of the CRA officers of, of various banks in the St. Louis Metro. And, and it was that activity that led me to give a talk at a community organization summit to talk about this. And, and believe me, it was very far back. It was two years ago. And, and it was much more vague than anything I'm talking about now. And, and it was one of the people at that summit who was, uh, the president of with action who buttonholed me in the parking lot and said, Hey, you, I want to talk to you about having a discussion. What? I said, you're a popular guy. Yeah. Well, and I immediately got involved in this and, and that led to where we are now is so, so the banks are interested, but the banks need a, they need a template. They need a workable plan going forward to be able to do this. Right. And, and I foresee that that is part of the training mode that we have to develop for appraisers. And it's probably not going to be a training mode that they will do um, through a, an automated form vendor. But it would be material that they would add to an appraisal report and throw into their PDFs, um, and it will not go through the ENV format of a upload to the Uniform Appraisal Dataset, right? Um, because it's going to be a portfolio product, and and so we have to. As I and we're working on this guidance committee, and and I've already told them, look, we need some lenders in here because we're going to need to get their buy-in, so that as a herd critter, our lenders tend to be herd animals and follow each other around in terms of thought process, naturally. Um, we all are in our own way. But to help that break that too. But the lenders are already there. They want to do something. They right. know that there's a need. 
They just don't have a they don't have a a a, a step by step process. So we've got to build that for them with their collaboration. I I see I see the want to do something. Yeah. Uh, I see that when I'm teaching, for example, teaching USPAP classes, and we discuss bias and we discuss the appraisal process, and I I frequently get the question, "What can I do? What can I do to do? We all try to do better. What can I do?" And this is an opportunity that, you know, if we can get the execution in place, it it sounds like a fascinating process. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I think I think something good will come out of this, even if the good is a very different critter than what I would otherwise envision. Right. Because knowledge is power and and knowledge then guides us into the pathway we need to take in the future. Um, and it can't hurt us. The truth can never hurt us. So so I, I I'm I'm optimistic that that good things will come. Not necessarily the things I think they'll come out of this. And we'd certainly love to see areas of devastated markets that have become terribly inactive and low prices as a result uh, become much more vibrant. And, and you know, the issue here, when we really think about this, is we often think about it as minorities have no choice. But in quite, quite honestly, one of the reasons that these neighborhoods fell apart in many cities is because as the elites moved out of a neighborhood and then the next stage of the, the next echelon of economic class moved out of a neighborhood and the neighborhood began to have infiltration by lower economic classes because those are the ones who pour in who come in right suddenly the the add-on factors occur and people who would otherwise want to stay can't feel like they can't stay and they got to get out of here too and so it's not just the poor who didn't feel like they had a choice it's even it's even people with some limited options felt like they didn't have a choice either. And so I'm hoping that we can figure out a way to bring those things back into a better balance and fascinating and reform some thoughts. Right. I think that's a that's a fantastic goal. And it sounds like you have things rolling. You have the processes in place and definitely the desire and the motivation to help revolutionize this thought process in the appraisal industry. Very we'll see. I mean, we'll see. It's 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 not the easiest thing. And and appraisers tend to sniff a lot before they bite. And okay. um and I that that's not a fault. It's a natural human instinct. Um and so and the processes are laid out kind of sort of in paper right now. But it's clear that that just like any procedure for a staffing position in a bank, you have to lay it out in very granular detail. Step right. one, step two, step three. We'll have to do that here um, to give appraisers confidence and then have to do the same thing for lenders. When you order these, you're going to have to order them this way. You're not going to go through an AMC or you're going to give your AMCs a target list of people to use. To, to help you do this. You're not going to just send it off to the guy six counties over and right. say, you don't know what you're doing here. But here, do this competitive restorative competitive value thing. And they're going to be like, what are you talking right. about? So it's going to have to be a team team proposition. It is, yes, it is. And, and and the beauty of it is, in my opinion, that number one, it puts the, like I said, puts the pin back in the hand grenade away from bias. 
Number two, it actually empowers the appraiser rather than puts the appraiser on the shelf, puts them on the right. shelf. Go away, appraiser. We don't want you. We're going to use an AVM. And and it gives appraisers a chance to do that. And I think, you know, it's interesting. One of my good friends who's on a commission, like you, Julie, said, you know, as you're doing this, it'd be a really good idea that you bring that part of the training program is you get a minority appraiser. And I hate the word minority because that's a that's a tar, that's a, that has lots of loaded meanings. But you find a black apprentice or a Latino apprentice or a woman apprentice. And you make those people be part of the appraisal process, too. So that they learn this and they learn this whole idea of the diversity of the profession. Thanks, well, you, you know, you, you take us down another rabbit hole that way. Diversification of our profession is something we've got to we've got to look at in the future. And uh, yes, recruiting from all groups in the United States is is key. It is. key. Yes. And you're right about diversity. Because we have to figure out a way to increase the share of Latinos and Blacks and women in the profession. Bureau of Labor Statistics actually went through a study and found that the appraisal profession is perhaps, if not the most, one of the most white and male and now older Mm -hmm. professions in the country. Yep. When I'm teaching classes, a lot of times my class is not diverse in any way, whether it's age, race, gender, none of those things are, are uh, equally presented in our, in our profession. And that's something that we've got to work on. That's for a whole nother podcast, but definitely that's something we need to consider. Correct. We have to make the appraisal community representative of the population that it serves correct i agree that's very important yep all right doug well thank you so much for being here with us today your your thoughts your analysis are fascinating restorative restorative competitive competitive value value. it's another it's another way to look at the appraisal process i think that uh is very valuable and thank you for your time your knowledge. Thank you for being here on Beyond the Numbers with McKissick Appraisal. Thanks a bunch. It was a pleasure to join you. I'm your host, Julie Molendorf. Thank you for being with us today.